Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan, the Rockefeller Center at Newsstand Studios. Joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? I'm good. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. Anything fun happening? Anything anything good in Nastasia land? Mm, no. Nothing. Just doing Amazon stuff. Well, isn't and that some good news? Yeah, go Quinn. Yeah, so Quinn... <laughs> well, well, Quinn, Quinn, Quinn's also here. Hey, Quinn. Hey. Quinn has managed to do what no one else could do on Earth, we think. I mean, I kind of want to jinx it just so that my life can continue to be the way it has been or all of our lives can. But uh, somehow Quinn has magically made it such that Amazon now considers this a legitimate company once again. So. Yeah. Very exciting. It is. It is. It. it well, for, means, yeah. my personal account is now should be reactivated. I think you so. completely shut yours down forever Excellent. and said Thanks, that Quinn. you were a scammer. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah. for those of you that don't know, uh, Amazon decided that we were bad actors. I don't know why. We don't know why. I think Quinn still doesn't know why, right? You don't know. Uh, 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 no, uh, no, I know. Oh, okay. What was it? Well, okay. I don't know what the inciting incident is, mm. but. Somebody did keep making actual accounts that we did control. Control is a very... Uh, well, with our emails. Ah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Control would imply a level of uh, agency that we didn't really... Yeah, or execute. And uh, so why would that cause th this to happen and be unfixable? Well, we... There is a policy against having multiple accounts unless you have legitimate multi-brand business reasons. Hmm. Hmm. I see. So why did they cancel John's personal account? Because I logged into the same IP know. address. That the same I don't IP know. Address. Look, my Amazon account was fine, but my selling privileges were suspended because of my association with Booker Index. Yes, well, yeah, so I don't sell anything. So not only the, the world, but not only are we bad actors, but anyone associated with us is exactly painted with the same brush. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But now we're 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 free, huh? Uh, in theory, yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, I still hate them. Is that okay? Yeah. Well, you can hear in, in also here we have John. How you doing? Doing great, thanks. Yeah. 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 Got Joe Hazen rocking the panels. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we don't have Jackie Molecules because he's back in Mexico right now. And the, uh, the Day of the Dead is, is somehow taking over the phone lines. He can't. He, he called in. He's like, it's real spotty here. I think what he was doing is this. Uh, 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 I can't hear it. I think that's what he's doing. You? No, no. This oh. is what I do. I do this. Anyway, uh, call in your questions too. Nine one seven. Oh no, yeah. Nine one seven four one zero fifteen zero seven. That's nine one seven four one zero fifteen zero seven. If you are a live Patreon listener, and if you're not, how do you do that, John? Patreon.com slash cooking issues. Go there, check out. There's three different levels of membership, and there's a lot of great membership perks that come with everything, including discounts to Kitchen Arts and Letters. Other random companies that we might have on air, like Made In when they were on, um, Nick Coleman's Olive Oil, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, be a member. Yeah, you know who didn't give a, a discount, which was fun, was uh, Steve from uh, Rancho Gordo. He's like, oh, yeah. I've never, he doesn't talk like this. He has to listen to the episode if you want to hear how he actually sounds. But he goes, I've never in my life discounted a bag of beans. It's an insult. Remember that? Yep. No, no, very true. Respect yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you know what? Fine. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. But can you discount something else? It's not a bag of beans. Yeah, exactly. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, wow. Wait, what's that? The, what's that? I feel like a... I feel like a like an honest to goodness like someone that Nastasia. That music is the stuff that Nastasia actually listens to. Nastasia, when she's going down the highway. Oh yeah, Nastasia has excellent taste in music. I've got to say, she doesn't she doesn't have yeah. any taste in music. It's taste in radio shows. She hates when you choose music. She had a playlist going at her party on Sunday, oh, so she's and changed. it was just one no, banger after another. No, you just don't spend enough time with me, Dave. So, thank God. <laughs> but the old Nastasia, whenever you drive in a car with her, she's like. I'm going to turn on the radio. No, I still do that. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So you don't, you, you've told me more than five times, more than 20 times. I can't count the number of times because I don't have enough fingers and that's as high as I can count. How you said, I hate people's playlists. What is it with people having to choose? Just listen to the radio. How many times have you said that to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. You are right. Okay then. But I'm saying, but you, but for a party, you're okay with a playlist. Yeah. Mm. Because why? Because they might say something you don't agree with on the radio that you listen to? No, we just want to have consistent music, right? Commercial free. I mean, I don't listen to random disc jockeys talk about, you know, picking up cannolis in the basement on on a new... That's a you you thing. So I don't know. I don't know what this is like. I only play music that I choose. Yes. Yeah, but if you have a playlist like mine that's over two weeks long, I mean, that's... Jeez. Wow. Yeah. Man, I don't want to come to your party in that, like, when you were in your emo phase for that two weeks, when you were listening to just like, and it's like all like, or like your goth section, and we're listening to Sisters of Mercy, Marianne. Oh, it's funny. Like, I just put on something from Floodland just the other day. She goes, ah, oh, I forgot about Lucretia. Yeah. Great track. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. True. Uh, I think they're one of those things where, <sighs> didn't like the lead person just like leave and start their own thing? Wasn't there all sorts of problems with that band? Andrew Eldridge? Yeah. Uh, something with the name. I don't know. I, it's so weird to think of all these people that you you know knew in like the '80s being like old now. Like I'm old now, but then the people who were already older than me when I was not old are like real old. Or they all died from heroin overdoses. Well, get this. Yeah, right. Get this. Dax goes to me. He's like, I'll probably never see an AC/DC concert. And I said, Well, if you do see an ACDC concert, you're not really seeing an ACDC concert. You're seeing some sort of agglomeration. And I was like, uh, I was like, you know, because Malcolm's dead and, you know, uh, you know, I'm not saying Brian Johnson's not legitimate as opposed to Bon Scott. I'm not one of those guys. I didn't see them before 1980. Come on. Come on. You know what I mean? Uh, I was only nine. But my point being that uh, he was like, did you know Axl Rose fronted for them when Brian Johnson had to bow out because he was having some sort of hearing problem. I was like, Axl Rose sang for ACDC? And my mind was just like, Poof. I was like, nothing has meaning anymore. And I heard it was <laughs> I heard it was good. I heard he did a good job, surprisingly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but, I mean, like, is there any meaning left on Earth? Like, Stas, would you ever go see, like, uh, like one of these bands, like these kind of like 60s uh, uh, era bands that's completely reconstituted and all they own is the name and it's some manager who like owns it. Well, you kind of saw that with the Beach Boys. Yeah. And how did that, but well, you left. We left. Yeah, we left. Even though you, you, uh, you're a fan of uh, John Singer Stamos there. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I always com- like to confuse uh, John Singer Sergeant and John Stamos. It's my favorite. There you go. Uh... Shout out to uh, Skernick Wines. John and I went to a champagne tasting yesterday. It was quite fun. You would have enjoyed it, Nastasia. That's funny. I was in the city. No, you didn't come. Funny. I talked about it. When? uh, For the past three weeks here after the show. 
I was like, there's a champagne tasting. And Nastasia is like, oh, I'm not listening to you because the radio's off. And then you walked out. I don't remember that. Yeah, that's my fault. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, you would have enjoyed it. You should go to the next one. Nothing Nastasia likes uh, more than like infinite. And here was nice about it. They were all grower producers there. And, you know, I always said, I was thinking of you at least, Nastasia. I was like, pour me the pink first. Mm-hmm. Pour me the pink first. Anyway, next year, maybe. Maybe they do it again next year. That was their Halloween celebration. Yeah, it's good. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. From uh, anyone else have anything to share? No. So, uh, it's going to actually be a No Tangent Tuesday? I don't know. I cooked a good pasta over the weekend. Good ragu. But yeah, other than that, that's it. Yes, you did. Yeah. There we go. Yes, yeah. for I made for kimchi on the weekend. Oh, yeah? Nice. Well, well, I mean, you started it or yeah. you finished it? Well, no, we started it. Okay, so when's it going? Like, how long do you think it's going to go? I mean, we just let her. We just let her go. We like put portions in the fridge, but then it just it just goes. Right, right. But I'm saying, what temperature do you ferment at? Uh, right now, we have it in the fridge just because we didn't have time to like properly jar it up. But we'll probably put it in a a jar in the pantry in a few days. Well, yeah, well, I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is what temperature is your pantry, Quinn? All I'm saying is, is that, I have no it, idea. well, listen. Room temperature. <laughs> I mean, I've never been in your room, Quinn. The point is, is if it goes too high, right? The problem with it, right, is if it goes too high, it's not going to be poisonous or anything, but you're going to lose that. You have a decent chance of it getting mushy if, yeah. if the temperature goes, I forget the magic number, but it's somewhere in the high 60s. If it goes above that, if it's in the 70s, which is what my kitchen normally is, then you have a very good shot of having a mushy, uh, a mushy fermented cabbage, and it's always sad. Then I'm the only one eating it because I'm sad. You know what I'm saying? I guess we'll find out. Or you could just put it in the coolest. What's the coolest place that exists in your house? I don't know. Well, have someone find out what the coolest place and have put it there. Another thing, if you have a vacuum machine, obviously yeah. it's a good way to uh, it's a good way to do it because you don't have to worry about weights or any of that other yeah. crap. You just you just have to worry about exploding bags, which is why if you bag. So you know how like when you're making yeah, kimchi, I, I don't, you're supposed I don't, I don't to have, have a chamber. I don't have a chamber. I, I'm not saying this is for you. Other people are listening. They might want to do it. You know Maybe, what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. What's the other bag one that everyone has that I'm blanking on? Food saver. Food saver. Yeah, works with that too. Well, the reason it works with that is because it doesn't have the brine's not there yet. Yeah. Right. So, like, typically, like when I'm doing sauerkraut or kimchi or any sort of fermented cabbagey thing, I do a pre-squash <laughs> step. I'll like add the salt in a big bowl, and then I'll just physically. You know, to like break it up a little bit to help the brine come out. Because I like to add as little excess liquid to it yeah, as right. is humanly possible. And done in a vacuum, uh, cabbage requires zero additional liquid. Yeah. Zero. So if you stick it in a food saver and you do the crusheroo, crush, crush, crusheroo with salt, put it in, suck a vacuum on it. If you let it go long enough, you won't get liquid into your food saver, but you can get a decent enough seal. But you do need to throw it into another, bag. into another bag. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because it will. Yeah, explode. Yeah, yeah. And I've never seen one violently explode and spray stuff everywhere. I just had to see them split and leaks. Yeah, yeah, mostly, yeah. But you know? if you have it inside of another bag yeah. or inside of a what's it called? Cambro. Yeah. But once it pops, then it's no longer uh, oxygen-free. Then you should put it in a jar and tamp it down. But just 
who has big enough jars around to do like all of the cavity? Oh, my name is John. I've got so many pickling jars. Well, not so many. I don't know. When uh, walking around Chinatown with John Hutt a couple of years ago, and one of those like ceramic shops was closing down. So they had the big like, you know, Chinese style fermenters with the moat on top right, and right, like, right. all that stuff. And I got those for 20 nice. bucks and it was great. Yeah. Most nice. Fermenting peppers in it now. Right, because then once it, uh, as long as you keep that thing, as long as the liquid never runs out in yeah. that thing, the oxygen is going to get exhausted. See, the whole point about this whole, like, keeping it under the surface of the liquid is just is just excluding oxygen. Yeah. But um, any oxygen that's in there at the start, which is why bagging it even with a crappy, I'm not saying your food saver's crappy, yeah, yeah. but, yeah, you know, with, with a lower-end vacuum, that oxygen will get consumed fairly quickly. And then you're in an anoxic environment, and you can you can go from there. Yeah. Uh, but I've never had one with the little water seal. You like it? Yeah. I mean, it worked. It was 20 bucks. Yeah. So, oh, it's nice. And do you get a lot of uh, calm yeast on top, or are you pretty good? Pretty good. Yeah? Pretty good, yeah, yeah. I put some salt in the well this time to try and just avoid anything happening there, but I need to find a place to hide it, which is my issue. What do you mean? Why? I don't know. Doesn't the DOH not like that stuff? Oh, 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 at the yeah. restaurant, yes, at, at the, the restaurant. restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So. Uh, I don't know, actually, what the current uh, theory is. I mean, you might need a HACCP plan for it. Yeah, probably. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was no like, HACCP hide plan. it. Yeah. I was like, you're like, you know, I just can't help myself. I'm going to yeah. eat it when it's too young. <laughs> but, I mean, if you go to, like, the pickle guys, they yeah. have their huge barrels of un, uh, unrefrigerated. You know how they cheat, by the way? So the pickle guys are fantastic. I've lived, you know, on the same block as them for 20-something years now. They're, they're downtown, right? And in, I have to say... Even though it's not cheap, it's easier to buy half gallons of kraut. At the amount of kraut that I eat, it's easier just to buy half gallons of kraut from those guys. Yeah. Right? So I go down there and they have these big, you know, 55-gallon pickle barrels that they that they have in. And then they take out of the top of it. But I, when I saw when they changed it, they really just have a five-gallon bucket that they stick into the top of the pickle barrel. It's not yeah. like the pickle barrels full of stuff. I was like, oh, you're cheating. He's like, even this weighs 80 pounds. What are you? I was like, hey. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a good system. It's a good system yeah. is all I'm saying. So anyways, so yeah, Quinch, see if you can keep that stuff cold because I once did a test of um, sauerkraut high up in my in my kitchen just to see what would happen as everybody, well, as I hope you guys know, the higher you go in your kitchen, the hotter it is, especially if you actually cook in your kitchen because like all of the heat from your, your, your range, your oven, it all floats up. That's the way physics works. And so I've measured it and it can be like as much as 10 degrees hotter if you cook a lot at the top of your kitchen from at the bottom of your kitchen. So always store this stuff low, but then try to also find a place that's a little bit cooler than your kitchen. I don't know, like a back of a closet somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know what I uh, use when I'm not bagging to keep my stuff down? What's that? Slingshot ammunition. A clack. Yes, everyone has slingshot ammunition just uh, laying around. That's if a you, great idea. If you go to Amazon, it's almost free. You buy the okay. white glass. It's white. They're white glass marbles. And they come in a nylon pouch already. So you just buy two pouches, you open it, pour the marbles from one into the other, close the pouch. The nylon is dishwashable. Yeah. Right? So then you just throw the whole thing in the dishwasher, and then now you have, uh, you know, you have your uh, pickle weights. Nice. You know? And nothing ever comes up over around it because it, it, can, it can make itself... Flat, yeah. Yeah, it can make itself whatever size you need it to be. You know, yeah. it's not heavy enough if you need like maximum compression, but that's why I do a little bit of the hoof, hoof, hoof beforehand. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. It beats filling Ziploc bags with water yeah. and then being like, well, I better fill the Ziploc bag with salt water in case it yeah, leaks. Yeah, Brian, exactly. Yeah. You know, anyway. I've been doing the uh, bag of actual salt trick sometimes. 
But then double if, it, if it leaks, then your salt level goes way well, up. Well, you double bag it. You double bag it. All right. Well, why not just use salt water instead of salt? It's not heavier. I don't know that that's the case unless you have solid blocks. I, I don't. Someone look up the density of. Uh, actually, what kind of salt well, do you yeah, use? No, that was that was well, that was a trick for Miso from uh, our cook quest. I, I'm blanking on his real Rich, name. Jeremy. Richie? Jerm yeah, Richie. Yeah. Uh, if know. you vacuum pack, find salt. It's pretty dense. Well, then why not just use a rock? The other problem with if you vacuum pack the salt is that it no longer conforms to the surface of your of your product. I mean, the advantage of a water bag is that it conforms 100% to the surface of your of your product. Right? I mean, that's the advantage. Well, anyways. So, I mean, but the problem with water, if it leaks, then, you know, some people, they put food coloring in it. Some people, they salt it so they know if it leaks. But then if, you know, yeah. the advantage if you use the same brine concentration as your, uh, as your main thing is, is that if it leaks, all you're doing is diluting flavor. You're not drastically de decreasing or increasing the salt content, you know? Whatever. I'm also a big believer in backslopping. You guys believers in backslopping? Yeah. Huge believer in backslopping. Normally, yeah. yeah. What uh, what kind of uh, fish products did you put in your kimchi, Glenn? I actually, I, I normally we just do a fish sauce, but this year, you know, it was a big batch. I wanted to be able to share it. You know, people get squeamish, or not squeamish, but you know, people tend to sometimes not like the fish product. So I cheated a little bit. I just did a, a little show you in the paste. When you say don't like, you mean like mentally they don't like or they actually don't like the flavor of it? Uh, yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, I wonder whether it's possible, probably not in the length of time that uh, kimchi goes, right? But in very, very long fermentations... Uh, things can get broken down. I wonder whether it's possible to have a long enough fermentation such that shrimp paste is no longer allergenic for people that have shrimp allergies. This is a separate conversation, mm. but I wonder... Because um, you're familiar with uh, fugu? You're all familiar with fugu? Yeah. So if, mm -hmm. you, if you take the egg sacs from the fugu, right, mm -hmm. then it's, uh, they're, they'll kill you. They're poisonous. But if you, like, because it's got tetrodo, it's full of tetrodotoxins, so it'll take you out. You know what I mean? Just like the liver. Yeah. Right? But, uh, you know, food is expensive, right? So, you know, they're not trying to throw away that product. So what they do is, is they salt it and they age it for like two years. And over the course of that two years, the tetrodotoxin is broke, broken down and they're now safe to uh, consume. I've never tasted it. They, they, they talked about this uh, when, um, when Gohan Society used to do demonstrations back when I used to be able to get my favorite uh, Japanese fish sauce, the ashiri, the high-grade ashiri that's only made from squid guts. Uh, I mean, that's is still bar none my favorite semi-commercially available. I mean, it is commercially available in Japan, just not here. It's from um, uh, what town is it from? Anyway, that the that fish sauce with the squid guts is the best fish sauce. Isn't best? I like all fish sauces, right? It's your it, preferred. It's not even that it's preferred. It's the most exact cross between, like. Fish sauce and canned ham. <laughs> it tastes much meatier than normal fish sauce. So you can use it in an app. I, we, I used to use it in my uh, milk soup. 
So I would make like a like almost like a changwa esque uh, milk soup, and I used to I used to have a, a bunch of ishiri. So I would dope the hell out of it, and you would never ever think that it was from a fish sauce. And I love fish sauce, but I'm saying it's like it's it's almost like a completely different product. The only thing close, and I've said this before is actual uh, garum made from like mackerel guts, which I've only had once from Sally Granger, who's the world's expert on fish sauce. Maybe someday we should have her on. Yeah, we should. I mean, she's she wrote her PhD on fish sauce. And, you know, prior to her PhD on fish sauce, she was the best interpreter of Apicius, the, uh, you know, the, the famous recipe guide from Rome. She's the only, uh, she is the world expert. We should get her to ship us some sauce. And then taste that stuff, right? Yeah. And then, you know, have her on. Yeah. Yeah. We okay. should. That'd be a great idea. Yeah. All right. Uh, how long you let your kraut go, John? I don't know. Usually let it go for five days and then start tasting it and then figure out from there. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, though, so at that point, hopefully it's still sweet kraut. Here's a funny thing. Have we talked about this on air before? I don't think so. So there's all these websites uh, talking about kraut and there's, a di and there's different... Uh, there's different bacterial communities that build up inside of your, uh, you know, lactic acid bacteria communities that build up. I can't remember which one's which over time, right? But they're saying if you don't let it go for, you know, at least 14 days, they'll say, right, you're not getting that last level of uh, of bacterial colony, right? Yeah. And so it's it's presumed in a lot of these websites that uh, that's what you want. In other words, that it's not going to be as good a product. It's not as complex because it doesn't have all of the bacterial colonies in it that you would get. But then the paper that they reference, right, everybody liked the newer kraut in the paper they referenced. All the hedonic scores from the tasters were like, oh yeah, we actually like new kraut better. So I don't know whether they were just talking to jamokes who don't like the taste of kraut yeah. or what. But I, So in other words, uh, you know, obviously it's valid whenever you think it's valid. But uh, I do, after after a little bit, I like to get it in the fridge and, you know, kind of semi-stabilize it a little bit. Yeah. You know yeah, no, I'm once saying? you got it right, yeah, you got to yeah. go and get it to stop, yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. that sweet spot. And where, how do you get the temperature down to where you want it? You just have a place that's a little cooler? Yeah, it's in the bottom of my closet. Yeah. Oh, wait, you, you do it at home and then bring it to work? Whoa. No, well, no, this, the, like, when I do stuff at home, that's where I'll put it, because otherwise the only spot I have is up high, and it gets too hot, and then things get mushy, but yeah, I don't know, I need to find a place at work. I'm told kimchi fridges are life changers. I can just put it. Oh, why? You're cooking it? Well, I'm just going to puree it. It's a hot sauce. Oh, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. No. Although I found that it, it's not just a texture, it has a little bit more of a... Okay. You know what I mean? When yeah. it goes mushy. It's just a little bit of a of a weird yeah a little bit of a weird thing, but yeah, if you're gonna puree it, I guess it's not that big of a deal yeah um, one way or to other yeah. But uh, I've been told that having a kimchi fridge is a life changing experience. I believe it because it keeps your you know yeah keeps all it's your stuff reliable yeah. yeah and relatively sealed yeah so you're only smelling it when you open it yeah because kimchi smells through the bag yes yeah as does sauerkraut yeah yeah I'm not saying I'm not. Trying to say that sauerkraut doesn't also smell. It just smells differently. Yes. But it does smell through the bag. Indeed. You like sauerkraut, Nastasia? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you like it cooked or you like it raw? Uh, raw. <clears throat> also, I just found out Gail Green died. Oh, that's so bad. Oh. Just now? Uh-huh. Oh, no. That's too bad. Huh. Huh. Uh, you know who else died? Um, Jules Bass. 
I don't know who that is. Rankin Bass. Oh, wow. He, ju- he just died like a week and a half ago or something like that. And when I heard about it, I was like, oh, I got to talk about it with Nastasia because that's, that's the end of the era. I think he's the last kind of surviving. I mean, he's the last of Rankin Bass. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I don't think there's very many people left who, who worked on, uh, on Rudolph. And Rudolph was apparently the first one. Did you know that? No. Yeah, and Bass was interviewed a bunch of times afterwards, and he was like, after we did Rudolph, he was like, we got so much work. It's like, we couldn't even do the work. We got so much work. You know what I mean? Mm Because, like, people were like, because Rudolph, as we both know, kicks so much butt. You know? Yeah. Are you excited for Rudolph season? Uh, yeah. Good. Good. (laughs) Um, anyway. All right. So, Quinn, have have we thoroughly exhausted your, your... your desire to speak about your kimchi? Oh, not even close. Ooh. But we should probably get to questions. Ooh, not even close. Uh, oh, yeah, last time we were talking, we were talking about adding fish to it, and you said you put... The, whatever, we'll, we'll talk about it. Let me know when it's done. Let me know how it tastes when it's done. Do you know what? We had uh, a long well, time I have, ago... I we, ate some yesterday. <laughs> oh, so that's like... That's just like... That's like fresco. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's... that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um... We remember Stas when we did uh, when we 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 did uh, the original museum event like way back in the day. Yeah, we were we were we were considering. I forget why it didn't work out. We gave Dave Chang New York City fourteen ninety one. Yeah, and we were considering the Korean food before the Chili Pepper was the other one, right? Mm-hmm. I would like, did, like. I wonder if anyone does that, like like Korean food before the Chili Pepper. Is that a thing people are doing, John? I don't know. I don't think so. Not that I know of. It's going to be interesting, right? It would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, not without the chili pepper. Yeah. Before, before. the chili yeah, yeah. yeah. Different. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Wizmerd writes in. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Do you remember when we had uh, Alex and Aki on the show <laughs> from Ideas and Food like a million years ago, Stas? Yeah. Yeah. I know you remember for a different reason, but mm-hmm. what I remember is that they don't like... They don't actually, they worry when they bag their pickles and their krauts and stuff because when you bag it, there's a little bit of excess pressure, right? That's because that's the bag inflates, right? So there's excess pressure in there. And it is very disconcerting to see an inflated uh, bag, not just because you think it might rupture, but because if you're trained in this, Oh, by the way, Stas, I don't know if you know this. I am now in the International Sous Vide Association's Hall of Fame. Awesome. And then Dax was like, they put everything in that thing. They put everything in the You know, everyone's in that thing. And then when I when I, I had to send them, I was inducted the same year as uh, as Wiley. By the way, Wiley Dufresne on next week. Wiley, yes. Wiley Dufresne's on next week. Or as I like to call him, Dufresne. I don't really, but he gets that mispronunciation a lot. I'm not sure like what he can announce or what he can't announce when he comes on. Uh, FYI, he's my brother-in-law, so hopefully we'll try to keep the inside uh, chicanery uh, outside of the radio show, say things that only people will understand. Uh, but, you know. Right, by the International Civita Association? Yes. No, for 2022 inductees? Yeah, that's me. Okay, you're not on the page yet. Oh, nice. But it's 2021. Yeah, well, so... What their argument was is that in the 2021, they inducted people who had a, a, an effect on home folks doing sous vide, right? And then this one was uh, people who, like, dealt with professionals. See what I mean? I don't know. The last one there was Philip Preston, Thomas Keller. Well, Philip Preston's Gousseau. the reason why people— ha- Well, Gousseau is Gousseau. Yeah. yeah. 
they named the but award after Doug Baldwin so. and Scott Heimendinger too. Yeah, yeah. Kennedy. Well, in other words, like those got home, home, yeah. focus on home, and so they're, they're. I'm not saying it's accurate, dude. I'm, what I'm, I'm saying, just saying is what I'm seeing. What I'm saying is the conceit yeah. was that th- th- this year was people who had focused mainly on sous vide education for professionals. Gotcha. Although Gousseau focuses on sous vide education exclusively for, for yeah. professionals. I've never seen him teach something to home folk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, my God, Gousseau. Hated or hates um, the Spanish style of sous vide. I think, in fact, the reason I think he did all of the training that he did in the early 2000s when I met him in the U.S. was specifically because the only the only thing that people had to learn sous vide in the United States was the translation, the Montague translation of the Roca's book. Yeah. It was the only, the only document in, uh, in English. Didn't that, they do their fish real low too? Well, that's the thing. It was a bad translation. So like uh, they were doing um, bacalao. They were doing yeah, right. salt cod and they were doing it at 104 Fahrenheit, which is extraordinarily low. Yeah. Uh, but all they were doing was warming it because it's bacalao. You know what I mean? So it's already been cured. All the worms and the cod have been dead. But then the translation just said cod. It didn't say salt cod or bacalao because if there's one thing that Montagu did not care about, that's the press back then, it is uh, whether anyone in any other language can understand what they're talking about. And, you know, are the pictures pretty? Yes. Then the translation is fine. Uh, And the pictures were pretty. Uh, But low temperature fish back then was something that a lot of people were extremely interested in. Uh, Everybody was. Um, But by low temperature, we mean like 48C, 40, you know, 40 something, not like 40C. You know what I mean? Which is what, uh, isn't it 104 like 40C? Not that low. Uh, people were doing like, you know, just around 50 Celsius, which is, I don't know, 120 something is what exactly people- Exactly 40 Celsius. Yeah. Uh, that's probably what they put it at, 40 Celsius. And so Bruno hated, hated that kind of cooking. To this day, I mean, I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but he hates that kind of cooking. And so I think to counter, and he would say all sorts of, that book is a great book, by the way. It's a great book. I mean, like, I think that, like, that way of cooking sous vide, not a lot of people cook that way anymore in terms of, uh, you know, and a lot of things that were popularized in that, for instance, um, all of their circulator baths were integrated baths and circulators. So they were these giant things that you had to carry around with you if you wanted to move them from place to place. And so a lot of the kind of love of Spanish stuff carried over to kind of equipment nightmares like that, whereas, you know, Philip Preston knew from the get yeah. that, you know, a portable circulator is the answer because now I can put it into a Lexan, you know, I don't put it into a bus tub. I hate seeing a circulator in a bus tub. It's just bus tubs aren't high enough. Yeah, People, bus tubs, they're just no good. They're also the side of a bus tub is so slanted that like, it's just not good. Bus tubs, not, not good, no good. Anyway, um, so I think he was doing a lot of his early training. By the way, this is before the health department crackdown in New York City. So his most of his training, I think, was in reaction because he wanted to establish the primacy of his feelings of sous vide, which were cook chill only. The man detests direct serve sous vide, hates it, hmm. hates it. If, if you don't chill that stuff down before you reserve it, you are not Gusso's friend. He's so French about it, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because his whole life is cook chill. You know, he developed a lot of this stuff beforehand and was working with Joel Robuchon back when Joel Robuchon was alive, obviously, for the SNCF, which is the train system that goes, you know, the high-speed rail system. So they were Mm -hmm. doing a a series of high-end entrees for Joel Robuchon that could be reheated. So all of his stuff is cook chill. Okay. Uh, 
Anyways, so he was like coming to show how to really do it as opposed to what we were learning from the Spanish, which he thought was, you know, an abomination, even though I think he respects them as chefs, maybe, I don't know. Uh, There's still a lot of... uh, a lot of uh, French chauvinism about like the import of the Spanish back in two thousand and you know three, yeah, four. Anyway, and then when the uh, Board of Health thing hit, then it was a whole another, whole another nightmare. Anyway, Wismerd wants to know how's the book going. Give us a progress report on the miracle of moisture management. Well, you just did. It's this kind of stuff, these tangents that I go off on, Wismer, that are stopping me. The cocktail book was comparatively easy because it was comparatively more focused. What I will tell you about this book is it's going to be more about intuition and less about recipes and very few of the weird, like I'm not going to be teaching people how to do bionic turkeys in, uh, in, in, the, in the miracle of moisture management. Stas, you think our bionic turkey days are over? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you never you, but you like it when I do it because you like to sit there and like make fun of me. You no, like I think that that ended in 2020 when we tried to bring it back, and then it was like it just didn't happen. You guys still have that huge like box yeah. of recipe books, right? Nobody wanted it. Storage. So. Nobody wants to make the bionic turkey. It's a pain in the butt. The the real way to do the turkey, I think, is the uh, is the plug of stuffing that you heat. The plug of stuffing that you heat separately. And then, you know, rip out the backbone of the turkey and, you know, brine it and then drape it over the hot plug. It's so fast. So fast. Nobody, I mean, then, and then you have the turkey backbone to cook with. Come on. Yeah, it's true. Come on. Yeah, better gravy. Better gravy. Thank you. Better gravy. Yeah. I'm going to take a little bit of a, I'm going to disagree with McGee here. McGee doesn't like to brine his turkey because he says the drippings from the turkey then have too much salt in them. Just under-season the rest of the gravy? Or you don't make the gravy until the last minute, yeah. right? So you make a stock yeah. with the, all the crap that you've ripped out of the turkey, right? And then, you know, I don't know. This has never been a problem for me. Yeah, same. Yeah. So, you know, next time we have him on, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get Nick Coleman to come with his, uh, with his olive oil and whatever those grease scrapers are. And we'll, we'll grease up and we'll wrestle about it. Are you talking about his bar of soaps? <laughs> no, no. He, so Okay. No, no, Nick. Nick is coming out with bars of olive oil soap. Paradoxically, uh, bars of soap made of food grade olive oil. I don't know why you need to have food grade olive oil in the soap, but he's very adamant about it. Mm-hmm. And so, Stas, have you tried his soap? Yeah. Do you enjoy it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you know uh, one of the old names for olive oil soap, Stas? No. Castile soap. Castile soap, because a lot of it came out of Spain, right? Uh-huh. I found. See if anyone if anyone speaks Dutch out there. It turns out that in the 20s, 30s, up to late 30s in the United States, it was said that recipes for Holland rusk, rusk, you know, the little toasts, yeah. rusks, Holland rusk is a, is a thing, right? That the actual recipes from Holland, the real ones, contained Castile soap in small amounts that were melted into the liquid base of them and that you can't get the texture of the mm. rusk right without a little bit of olive oil soap in it. But I've not been able to find, I've, I, I've been able to find like several, more than three English language mentions of the practice, but I've not been able to find a recipe. Mm. So if anyone can find that recipe, that'd be awesome. I mean, because do you remember back when Piper thought that we were going to use soap in cocktails? Mm, not really. So... 
you know, one of the main things in soap is sodium lauryl sulfate in a lot of soaps and like detergents and shampoos, sodium lauryl sulfate is a, it is a food grade surfactant additive. And so he was trying to see what kind of like foams and stuff you could get. Remember this? And he made simple syrup with SLS in it. And then he was like shaking drinks with sodium lauryl sulfate in it. And we were all like, yo, Piper, this sucks. You don't remember that? No. That was on Elder Street. Yeah. You're losing it, Stas. It's your turn to be losing it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Jack Rieger writes in, Hey Dave, I made Kenji's recipe for low temperature carnitas. I did mine at 74 uh, Celsius for 24 hours. That's not really low temperature though. Is that really low temperature? 74? I think that you're in the, you know, there's no such thing as an uncanny valley for temperatures, right? But once you go over 60 or so, might as well just go all the way. There's just not that much of a temperature difference if it's going to be bagged, right? You're, you're not going to get the dehydration from it. Maybe there is. I haven't done a lot of tests in the mid-70s, but it just seems to me to be kind of a, in like this like weird zone of why. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why? Uh, 74C for 24 hours. That's also a long time. Uh, he calls for salting the meat pre-cooked. I followed along, but thought it might get hammy. Cured texture that can happen with pre-salting. Uh, to my surprise, the meat was fantastic and not cured texture at all. What's going on here? Well, going back to the miracle of moisture management... Most of my anti-pre-salting uh, work has to do, had to do with uh, cooking uh, ribeyes. Uh, and what I think is, is that the, the more um, collagen there is, the more connective tissue, uh, you know, paramecium-style connective tissue around uh, the meats that the salt can do, the less you're going to see that cured hammy effect. And that's more of a muscle fiber without collagen situation. I've also noticed that if you drop the temperature on something like a ribeye, you can pre-salt it as long as you don't keep it. So like if you salt something and you cook it at let's say 55 Celsius, which uh, I don't even, I don't know what that is, like 130, something like that, like 130, right? If you cook it for just an hour or 45 minutes where it just gets up to that temperature, even if it's pre-salted and you drop that temperature down three or four degrees, the temperature creep won't get high enough to make it really hammy. Does that make sense? On, on ribeye. Whereas if you keep it at 55 with no salt for a couple of hours or 54 or five, or if you keep it at that temperature for a couple of hours with no salt, it also won't get hammy. But if you keep it for a couple of hours or, or if you keep it a, for a couple of hours at 55 with salt and eat it right away, you're fine, right? But if you keep it at 55 with salt for a couple of hours and then chill it, then it'll get hammy, right? Mm-hmm. If you take something like carnitas, where there's a lot more intramuscular uh, uh, collagen, right, a lot more connective tissue, that has less of a chance of getting hammy because it's going to get separated by the collagen fibers as the collagen breaks down with the salt. So you're going to get m- much less of that. I would be more worried at 74 for 24 hours. I mean, it's probably fine. I, I'd have to taste it and see what I'd be looking out for uh, 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 higher temperatures, long times like that, because that's a relatively high temperature to be cooking for 24 hours, yeah. right? Uh, what I'd be looking for there is more of uh, fiber textures. So like what happens is, is that the muscle fibers, not the, you know, it basically all of the connective tissue gets wiped out and you're left with just kind of muscle fibers. And the characteristic for that for me is if you eat a piece of meat plain, just plain, uh, don't sauce it, don't do anything, cut a block out of what you just cooked and chew it. If you get an immense amount of juice right and keep chewing it, don't just wolf it down, take a bite, if you get an immense amount of juice right away, but then as you chew it, you get more kind of fibery, pasty, almost like a pork foo or pork sung texture where you can kind of taste the individual fibers. I find that unpleasant. 
You ever had that happen, John? No. You know, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. So like that's what I look for, uh, for in a in a long uh, in a long cook. Is, does that make sense? This is a good answer. Did I answer the question? Yeah. Okay. Uh Col mm. Colton Johnson writes in, Hello everyone. I apologize in advance to Nastasia, uh, but I have a few questions about pie. My husband and I are going to be making some pies for a few friends, namely pumpkin as well as pecan pie. Uh, by the way, you know who hates pumpkin pie is uh, Dave Chang. Apparently, I'm, I'm going to go on one of his Thanksgiving podcast episodes. Nice. Not to make pumpkin pie. Oh. Because he has to also make the recipe. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, and, you know, he won't make pumpkin pie because he hates pumpkin pie. Are you going to have him make pie? I'm not going to have him make pie. Okay. I gave them a list of things that they could make, and they chose two things that were not pie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, too bad for them, huh? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I still haven't had a banoffee pie, which is what we were talking about when he was on, if you remember. Yeah, that's true. You ever had a banoffee pie? No. Mm, me either. What about you? I know Nastasia doesn't care. I would ask her, but she's going to say I don't care. Am I right? I do not care about pie. <laughs> there you go. But why do you not care about pie? Is it because I do care? No, I just really do not care about pie. What desserts do you care about? Um, none. You don't care about any desserts. What do you care about? I don't know. All right. Good. <laughs> Good. Uh, so, back to Colton Johnson. We have pie marches on, which we refer to, and I love this, the pie the Bible. Uh, and the pumpkin pie recipe is out of this world good. Well, so, if, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the original recipe uh, in Pie Marches On for pumpkin pie was written as, I forget what year it was, somewhere in like 1937, 36 for American Restaurant Magazine. And it was introduced as like, this is the pie for this year. So he had developed the recipe for that time. So, and he was very pushed. He did a lot of iterations of that recipe, uh, which is one of the reasons why I think it works as opposed to perhaps the, uh, it even has a non-standard crust recipe, right? As opposed to, for instance, the pecan pie that you have an uh, uh, issue with. A lot of people don't like pecan pie. It's not the pie I'll go for if there's an array of pies. I'll eat it if it's the only pie, but... What's the order in an array of pies? Well, let's assume we have this array. I'll give you an array. Give it to me. The array is two crust apple. Ooh. Pecan. Pecans on top with goop. Pecan nuts all the way through. Pumpkin pie. Apple, pumpkin, goop, nuts all the way through. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. But what's your? What about a lemon pie? I love a lemon pie. Yeah, lemon pie is delicious. Yeah, I like. I, I like. I like uh, acidic desserts. Yes. In general. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I also favor acidic apples. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So the pumpkin pie recipe is out of this world good, but when I recently made the pecan pie recipe, it was not as good as we were hoping. Uh, it is drastically different from any other recipe I've seen due to the crazy amount of corn syrup, extra eggs, and the quarter cup of flour per nine-inch pie. I was wondering if Dave has tried this recipe yet. I have not. And what might be the reason why this recipe did not stand the test of time? As a side note, it didn't taste bad, and the pie definitely holds its shape after being cut. But the texture of the sugary goo under the pecans was strange. It wasn't gritty, but it had a clumpy texture. Well, so for those of you that want to know, I, I converted this to uh, grams. And so a single pie contains uh, an ounce, which is 20, I put 28 grams of sugar and 28 grams of flour. Now you mix those two together. Any reason, any, any, anyone, anyone, why do you mix the flour and the sugar together? And why such a small amount of sugar, considering that there's about mm. to be 681 grams of cornstarch in it? Uh, sorry, corn syrup. syrup. 
So like, why mix the sugar and the flour? Dispersion, dispersion. Right? If you just put flour into the corn syrup, it'll clump instantly. If you mix it with the sugar first thoroughly and then put it into the corn syrup, you'll disperse it better. That's why. Uh, And then 227 uh, grams of uh, eggs, whole eggs, beaten. So I don't know uh, what that is. What's 57 divided? What what is that? That's like five? It's like five, right? Yeah. All right. Um, Seven, uh, seven grams of vanilla, seven grams of salt, and 42 grams, 45, 43 grams of melted butter. You stir that all together. That is a lot of corn syrup. That is a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of corn syrup. So I don't know what to tell you about why there's that much uh, corn syrup. And I have found some recipes online that have an extremely high amount of corn syrup. But I will give you his alternate recipe in how to bake better pies. In how to bake better pies, it's 180 grams of sugar, right? No flour in the in the base recipe, all right? Uh, and then like uh, 20, like like an ounce of, ounce of butter. And he beats the butter into the sugar. I don't know whether to give it an aeration step because a lot of pecan pies will have you aerate some of the ingredients beforehand to make a lighter texture in the, in the custard. But then it's uh, 525 grams of corn syrup and 220, so same amount of eggs and vanilla. So it's just a lot more sugar in it. And what he does in that recipe that you might enjoy, Colton, is instead of putting flour into the mix, he takes a pound of pecans for this mixture that I just gave you, a pound of pecans, and then tosses those with flour, taps off the excess, mixes the pecans in with the goop, and then bakes it. Presumably the flour will will functionalize as it cooks and the pecans will lift off of the bottom and float to their own layer on the top. So try that recipe instead. And uh, supporters of the Patreon can uh, find a copy of How to Make Better Pies on the Patreon site. Very true. Yep. How to Make Better Pies. From Dylan, I recently tried my hand at making some elderberry jam following a simple recipe of juice, sugar, uh, lemon juice, and added pectin. My first attempt yielded a very delicious but disappointingly runny syrup. I rebatched the jam with more added pectin followed by a boil to reach a temperature of 220 degrees Fahrenheit. The resulting jam was still on the loose side but was passably set. Uh, um, This experience got me wondering whether there were any reliable rules of thumb you could suggest for consistently successful jam making or any resources out there to which you'd lend your stamp of approval. I would just go to any ag department. Ag departments are really good at jellies. I'm going to say that the problems you there's two problems you had. Adding more pectin is not going to help unless you've increased the solids ratio. Most likely, what you need is more sugar in that thing, uh, which seems like maybe that's what not what you want. But if, if if it tastes bad from that, also add more acid. Pectins need very high solids ratios, a lot of them to work. Unless you buy a low sugar pectin, if you buy a low sugar pectin, it will set up at lower solids rates. So if you want to have less uh, sugar in your recipe or lower solids, you can uh, do that. I mean, if you add enough pectin, it'll set anyway, but you need a certain minimum solids ratio. So uh, Rose uh, Levy Bernbaum, who was on the show last week, I didn't get a chance to talk to her about her uh, raspberry jam recipe, but her raspberry jam recipe, what she does is, is she takes raspberries and boils them in sugar syrup, okay, then removes them, then boils more in the same syrup and keeps boiling raspberries in the sugar syrup, then reduces the sugar syrup and then puts the raspberries in to cook them together. So it's like multiple cookdowns of the of the raspberries so that by the time you're done, like it's just so much pectin and solids from the raspberries, but all the raspberries have been wilted down that you don't have to add a lot of extra sugar. 
I mean, there is sugar in it. It's a sugar yeah. syrup you're boiling it in. But she says it's good. I meant to ask her about it, but, you know, we ran out of time. Yeah. And have her back sometime. Cookie Bible. Yeah. Uh... I forget why she had that in her cookie Bible. She then strains it. Maybe she was doing some sort of like Linzer tort cookie. I forget. Do you, I love a Linzer tort. I do love a Linzer tort. It's delicious. Oh, my God. So, so, tort. so oh my good. God. I like the real ones. I like the fake little cookies. Yeah. You know what the other thing I didn't talk about in her cookie Bible was that I wanted to bring up, but we just ran out of time? She gives a recipe for knockoff Milano's. Oh. The Pepperidge Farm cookie. Yes. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's someone who doesn't know what yeah. I mean. But like... That was always growing up. That was the Pepperidge Farm cookie I wanted. Milano. Yeah. Do you like those, Nastasia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, fine. Good. Thank goodness. <laughs> but, like, uh, on the other hand, I don't know that I need to make them. I'm fine, I think, giving my money to the Pepperidge Farm Corporation. Yeah. And having them make the Milano for me. Do any of you guys prefer the flavored Milanos to the real ones? I mean, I'm, I'm, I enjoy the mint one at times. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Do you like York peppermint patties? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Huh. Anything really mint for me. Anything mint for you. Mm -hmm. huh. I like a York peppermint patty once it's been frozen. Oh, yeah. That's really good, too. Yeah. But I don't feel like people buy the full-size ones anymore. I only ever see the quote-unquote fun size. Yeah. Yeah. So I was volunteering at a park on Sunday and giving out full-size candy bars to kids from the, you know, the local thing. They were like, oh, my God. Full-size candy bars. I was like, yeah, man. Yeah, not fooling around. Yeah. And Booker says the only fun size is full size. Oh. That's what he says. That's right. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite Halloween candies? We should go around and talk about it. I mean, I love Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh, yeah? Old yeah. school. Yeah. All right. Delicious. What about pieces? Eh. I love pieces. But I mean, it's funny enough, they're kind of hard to find as the, um, you know, Halloween treat size. Really? Yeah, I find them hard to find. I had I had York peppermint patties last night. I kind of like hoarded a few of them, um, but to to, to your uh, to your statement about the full size, a neighbor came by the house, and uh, he's like, "Hey, uh, I'm not giving out candy, but give out the, this candy." And he brought all these full size candy bars, and I was blowing minds. Wow, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> blowing <Right>. minds. <laughs> Yeah, kids, their eyes pop out of their heads. Their eyes pop out of their heads. When you, when you show up with a giant bowl of full-size candy, they're like, what the? You know what I mean? And, yeah. then, and then you really see what happens because some people go into Lord of the Flies mode and they try to get as much as they can. And I, I'm okay with a little bit of greediness on a Halloween. I'm okay with a little bit, but there's a, there's a limit. There's a limit. I yeah, I don't share candy. Yeah, no, 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 no. Do you know what I thought was something that only I liked that then the kids would, it changes. So if you, if you give candy out, this is why I like, you shouldn't only give candy out when you have kids. You should give out candy all the time so you can see how tastes change. Cause year to year it's different. Like it, like uh, years ago, all the sour stuff went like first, you know, sour stuff went first. And then a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, I, this, I went for like uh, a bunch of paydays because I love the payday. It's a good candy bar. It's not chocolate based, it right? It's a good candy it's, bar. It's a good yes. candy bar. And people, the kids went nuts for payday. Like, I, like the payday. And I, those, those are the ones I, th I would I hope they had left over because I'm like, oh, payday. You know what I mean? And they, they, they got obliterated. But I have to say, uh, I have recently had that kind of that Reese's payday, payday alike that also has chocolate. It's like uh, caramel. Yeah. And peanuts and, and... I've seen that. I've never bought it. It's called like... What is it called? Like Take Five or something like that? Yeah, so, Take yeah. Five. But the Lion Bar is the best one. I've never had a Lion Bar. Lion Bar yes. from Cadbury. Yeah. Yeah? You know Europe, what? It's Europe, I don't know. You find it everywhere in Europe, but 
like specialty stores here. Yeah, Quinn, what's your, what's your what's your favorite uh, Canadian bar there? Uh, I mean, it's a it's not Canadian specific. Again, I really like a Canadian Smarty, which is not like American Smarties. It's basically a a thicker shelled M M&M. and M. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. Another another really nostalgic chocolate, like really, you know, bottom barrel in terms of like production quality is the Hershey's cookies and cream. That's classic. Mm. I do have to say, Quinn, I do think about those hickory sticks you sent us. I think about those all the time. <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> the hickory sticks? Do you, what about, uh, good. But in a candy thing, the co- those coffee crisps, you also like those things, right? The coffee crisps? Yeah, they're they're good, but they're not like in the top. Oh yeah, tier I, for, I forgot. Those are your dad's choice. You're like, those are my dad's. My dad mm-hmm. liked that. I don't know why he's sending you stuff that he likes. Anyway. I like them. No, yeah. I like them. I like them. They're mm-hmm. just not on the top of my list. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Dylan, if you boil to a higher temperature, uh, you'll get a higher solids ratio, and you can do the. You know what I'm, I hate doing? I hate doing the old school test where you take your sugar or whatever and you drop it into water and see if it sets. Does that ever work? What trick is this? <sighs> to test sh- syrup temperatures. It's like you drop, you get cold water and you drop a little bit of the thing and you see whether it's, I hate it. The other one I hate doing is... I mean, with... Yeah? Sorry, with, with the jam, I've never done a, a cold water test. I've done the cold plate. Yeah, I hate that is too. Is that what you're going to talk about? Yeah, yeah, I hate oh, that too. Yeah. I hate them all. Candy is the cold water test. I hate that. And you got to stick your hand in the water and try to judge how the ball feels when you're doing like a hard candy. Th- I hate it. And then like, oh, it's threads, it's this, it's that. I hate it all. I hate all of those tests. Accurate candy thermometer is a good test. You know what I mean? Yeah. And honestly, mm-hmm. with a jelly, I have to say, it's better to go a little harder than a little softer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Hey, do you know what's an instruction that I've always hated uh, that I just now realized what, the, what was going on with it? Can I tell you? Go for it. Beans. So, beans. Uh... So if you've ever like looked at an old school recipe for baked beans, they tell you to cook the beans until when you blow on it, the skin splits. You've heard this? No. Uh, you look up any old school like Maine or like Northeast recipe for baked beans and it's always the same wording. Cook the beans until when you blow on it, the skin breaks. And if you take a fully cooked bean and blow on it, you know what doesn't happen? Skin breaks? Yeah, it doesn't happen. It does not happen. But I was doing a test, which I'm going to write about soon uh, for, what, what, what is it, what's that? Uh, Seriously? Seriously? Seeds, right? Uh, where I needed to cool the beans rapidly, all right? So I took the cooked beans, which were cooked to what I think is cooked, where, you know, these people say stop, and I immediately poured the entire pan of beans, which were intact, into a sheet tray, okay, to get the layer as thin as possible so it could cook off. And you know what happened? The skin split. So I think what the blowing on the beans until the skin split means is, is if it flashes off heat energy and the skin then flashes off and dries, it's weak enough at that point to split because as it's drying, it opens up. So when I looked at my pan, all the beans underneath the surface of the liquid were intact and all the ones at the surface had popped open just like that recipe is. So that's what they mean by blowing on it. You're actually trying to cool it 
and like get get like you have to get a bunch of beans up so that the bottom is hot and you blow on it to cool it off and if if the strength of it the cooling ruptures if the if the dehydration and cooling ruptures the skin that's what they mean mm. but then i had yeah. all those popped beans i was so bent cuz i'd like been so careful not to pop the beans and then i dumped them all into a tray and they all popped son of a shame son of a shame. which means i still need to think of a good way to cool beans quickly yeah. I mean, I was using the evaporation to cool beans because yeah. uh, originally I was cooling the beans by throwing ice cubes into them, but, you know, you're only getting like uh, 80 calories per gram out of an ice cube. You know okay. what I mean? And I was going to cook them again anyway, so it doesn't matter if I'm adding a little extra water. Yeah. Right? But it's just too much. Yeah. Right? Like Quinn and I were calculating this before, and to chill a couple kilos of beans down to where I needed them, you'd need like, for every two kilos of beans, we needed like what, like 800 grams of ice or something like that, Quinn? It was something stupid. It was some stupid, yeah, yeah, some yeah. dumb number. You know what I mean? Whereas uh, evaporation is like, you know, eight times more efficient. So if you evaporate off like even a small amount, it cools it relatively quickly. Not to mention, right, you know, it's easier to cool over a large surface area. Yeah. But I can't use evaporation as a cooling mechanism if I'm going to split all my freaking beans. Freaking beans. What about like a big block of ice in a bag? Or something. I have done blocks of ice in bags before, but it's not nearly as efficient because you get insulation effects. You need to stir it around all of the time. You need to do a lot of stirring. Like uh, ice in a liquid because of the mixing is extremely efficient. So you could. I mean, like uh, yeah, yeah. they used to sell these. Uh, you ever use one of those ice paddles, John? You ever seen those? No. They're stock paddles. So it looks like a cricket bat, but it's okay. blue. And, uh, and you freeze them. And then you're supposed to stir your stock with this cricket bat. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can so yeah. you can keep your stock in a stock pot yeah. and get it down in under four hours. Yeah. But what a pain, man. What a pain. Nobody likes that. No. So yeah, no. Yeah. Not a fan. And then some that. people they're like, oh, maybe we could use a, a a wart chiller, right? They're doing using wart chillers on their stock. Mm -hmm. it, it all it turns yeah. out it all sucks. The easiest way on a stock is to pour the stuff into hotel pans, let it flash off, then rebatch it when it gets cold enough, right? Yeah. But it's a pain. Yes, it is. Cooling it's stock's not. a pain. Yeah. It really is. Uh, did I answer Dylan's question, you think? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kyle Kelly uh, wrote in, Hey, Dave. Wanted to experiment making a Coca-Cola foam in an EC whipper. Any thoughts on a, a method of stabilizers you suggest was aiming for an airy sea foam type of result? Thanks. We didn't deal with this? What would you do? Say you that could, again? Uh, uh, uh sea foam type Coca-Cola sea foam. I do mo mainly dense. I don't do sea foamy stuff. Most sea foamy stuff is less than. What? Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I was gonna say for like a really lacy foam. Yeah. I think I've mainly seen less thin with like a little xanthan to yeah, but stabilize. I, but, but, but I like wouldn't uh, very light. I wouldn't do it in an EC. Yeah. I would do the old school one where you stick it into a core container and then put an immersion blender in it at an angle such that the blades. Go up and then down, up yeah. and then down, up and then Frost down, like. and you we and then I mean, I, I, and then you would I've harvest the foam off the top. Use, That's what we always used to do. I've seen I've seen people use a like a a brand new like little soap dispenser. Brand new what? Oh, uh, the ones that like turn the soap, soap into dispenser. foam. Oh. Yeah. The problem with any sort of direct dispense is is that only a portion of stuff that's going to be sea foamy actually becomes sea foamy, and then you're left with a lot of liquid left over. So if you actually want to make foam, 
the easiest thing to do is to use the immersion blender because you're literally harvesting the foam off the top of the liquid, and then guess what? Your your liquid's ready to go again. Yeah. Because there's always excess lecithin and whatever else you need in that. Always in excess. So you can whip it like you know, people used to do it with carrot juice all the time. That was the thing. I'm going to put carrot juice foam on everything. And these, you know, carrot juice because it's naturally kind of foamy anyway, yeah. and then they hit it with some lecithin, and then you have it in the core container, and you could use it all service. Yeah. All service. I mean, you know, that's what I would do. Uh, how much time do I have? 36 seconds? Craig Ware, a million years ago you had it on the old blog post about nixtamalizing rye grains. Uh, did that experiment yield any significant results? I think you mentioned using lye as well, but uh, one of the risk associated, do you have any ratios to share? The ratios are on the blog, which still can be found if you look up rye nixtamalization cooking issues. It's just like none of the links necessarily work right. Um... Yeah, you need the lye because uh, calcium uh, hydroxide is not strong enough on its own to break down uh, the outside of rye before it gets too mushy. So it's a quick lye and then cal. Uh, and I'll, the results were it was freaking delicious, but a huge pain in the uh, behind because the, uh, the pentazans make the dough extremely sticky like you would have for uh, rye bread. But worth doing once. Cooking issues. 